We're on a little different schedule with the podcast this week. I had my first daughter on July 9th at 12.49 p.m. Her name is Anne-Marie Claire Schaffner, and we could not be happier. And I think this interview with Kieran is really great timing, especially when he goes over how how important it is um, to establish our microbiome and uh, really how that gets set up from conception to age two. And I was even making some decisions this week to really um, support my daughter's microbiome with getting some donor milk and not um, choosing to formula feed when her bilirubin levels were slightly elevated. And um, that really worked well. And I just uh, really am grateful for all of the support and the the team that I have and all the resources that have supported me through this journey. And um, I'm excited to share more about what I was able to do with this amazing support. So thank you. And I hope you enjoy the interview. Welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. My name is Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today I am interviewing Kieran Krishnan. I heard Kieran talk at a conference a few years ago and was immediately intrigued and impressed with his depth of knowledge about the gut microbiome and the immune system. Um, we started using a product that he developed called Megaspore Biotic using bacillus spores in practice at Sophia Health Institute, and we're really immediately um surprised and grateful for the response that we were getting from patients. So Kieran has been really wonderful over the years, um, sharing his depth of knowledge and um, really been generous with all of his information. Um, And I hope that you enjoy our conversation. It was a real treat for me to uh, get to pick his brain and to learn more about the microbiome. And I hope you enjoy our conversation. Kieran Krishnan is a research microbiologist and has been involved in the dietary supplement and nutrition market for the past 16 years. He comes from a strict research background, having spent several years with hands-on R&D in the fields of molecular medicine and microbiology at the University of Iowa. He earned his Bachelor of Science degrees in microbiology at the University of Iowa. His undergraduate education was followed up with postgraduate research in molecular biology and virology. He left university research to take a position at the U.S. Business Development and Product Development Lead for Amano Enzyme USA. Amano is one of the world's largest suppliers of therapeutic enzymes used in the dietary supplement and pharmaceutical industries in North America. Kieran also established a clinical research organization where he designed and conducted over a dozen human clinical trials in human nutrition. Kieran is also co-founder and partner in New Science Trading LLC, a nutritional technology development research and marketing company in the U.S. dietary supplement and medical food markets. Most recently, Kieran is acting as a chief scientific officer at Physicians Exclusive LLC and Microbiome Labs. He is a frequent lecturer on the human microbiome at medical nutrition conferences. He conducts the popular monthly microbiome series webinars through the Rebel Health Tribe Group Practitioner Training Program. Kieran has been invited as the expert guest on national radio and satellite radio and has been a guest speaker in several health summits as a microbiome expert. He is currently involved in three novel human clinical trials on probiotics and the human microbiome. Kieran offers his extensive knowledge and practical application of the latest science on the human microbiome as it relates to health and wellness. He is the creator of Thrive Probiotic, Peak Biotics, and Mega Spore Biotic. I hope you enjoy our conversation. 
Welcome, Kieran. I'm so excited to interview you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. You know, I I think I first heard you speak. It was maybe January 2017 um, at Bastyr University. Maybe I have the year wrong. Um, Life goes by so fast nowadays, but it was for the Restorative Medicine uh, Conference. Um, And I was just blown away about um, your research and your knowledge about the microbiome. And we immediately brought... Um, a product you developed back into the office, and we're just so excited about our patients' response. Um, and we've been really on this learning curve with you on how we can really um, make effective changes for um, many of our patients who have, you know, obviously trouble with gut dysbi- gut dysbiosis and um, an impaired microbiome. So that was my first introduction to you. And um, you know, I know that we've um, enjoyed getting to know you over the years, and you've shared a lot of information with our clinic and. Um, we really appreciate all the knowledge that you brought us, and I'm so excited to share that, you know, with our audience today. Yeah, absolutely, and so am I. I mean, everything we do um, has no meaning behind it unless we have a uh, a venue to be able to get the information to people. So we always appreciate being able to work with um, with, with shows like yours, practices like yours and doctors like you. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm sure our audience would love to hear, how did you really become interested in researching the microbiome? You know, um, interestingly enough, I I ended up picking microbiology. I knew I wanted to do something in science. Um, I was always a science nerd from from the very beginning. My mom is a medical doctor. Um, I grew up in Malaysia and India, so I spent a lot of time in her clinics with her, uh, watching her do procedures on people and so on. That always fascinated me that she had the knowledge and understanding of the body and, and could do the things that she did to make people feel better. So that was my big driving force behind really wanting to get into the science field. Um, Then when I first started college, I was trying to figure out, okay, what area in science am I going to go into? And the first day in the dorms, there was a movie playing in like the kind of communal area. And the movie that was uh, playing was that movie Outbreak. Um, I don't know if you remember that Mm -hmm. with Freeman and Dustin Hoffman, right? And it was all about this virus outbreak. Um, It was a simian virus that came came in from a monkey uh, that someone had illegally imported. And a lot of the people that were chasing this virus around and trying to find a cure and so on were microbiologists who worked either for the CDC or some other organization. And so right away, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to I want to study microbes. I want to study you know, um, illness associated microbes, fine cures and so on. So I went and I, uh, you know, applied for the, um, for the department of microbiology in the school of medicine and started studying microbiology at that point and, um, clinical microbiology in particular. Then my postgraduate research was involved in, um, HIV vaccine development. So I was part of this international project that, um, where different parts, uh, different, uh, research institutes were developing vaccines, different aspects of HIV vaccines. So that was really fascinating because that allowed me to get really into the nitty gritty of how viruses and bacteria and all that infect human cells and and the impact it has on our overall system. And at the same time, you start to understand that the vast majority of viruses and bacteria um, that we come in contact with are all good. They're either benign or good in some way. Um, and so that's 99.9% of the microbes you'll ever come in contact with are either benign or good for you. And so that 
aspect of it was not really understood at the time. You know, we didn't really know what a good bacteria actually did for us uh, versus, you know, the, the very well-known bad bacteria. And so then when the human uh, when the human microbiome project launched by the NIH back in 2007, and I learned about that, that got me immediately interested in understanding, um, you know, okay, what is going on in the gut? What are these trillions of organisms? How do they control health and wellness? And, uh, and that's when back in 2007, I started jumping into the microbiome side of, of the research. And, uh, and my goal became to identify highly functional beneficial bacteria that should be a normal part of our system, but inevitably isn't because of our lifestyle. And these microbes should be able to come in and kind of fix the disruption that we, uh, disruption that we incur from, uh, you know, kind of the modern day living. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'm so glad your path led you to this because as we all know, especially on the front lines of, you know, treating people who are, you know, way too sick, um, you know, we know that the microbiome um, is such an integral part to um, our immune systems and we're up against a lot these days, you know, so I'm so glad that you um, took this research on and this became your mission and you know, I, I think one of um, the things that um, we can start with is really your research has led you to really utilize and develop products around um, this idea of using bacillus spores. And so can you just, uh, many people are familiar with probiotics, they're familiar with, you know, uh, lactobacillus and bifidus and, you know, saccharomyces and, you know, all sorts of different, um, you know, probiotic strains. But um, you have really shared um, in the natural product market something very unique around the use of bacillus. Can you just introduce kind of a 101 um, about bacillus spores? Yeah, so they these are really, really interesting microorganisms. These are microbes that um, in nature you'll find them uh, fairly ubiquitous in undisturbed environments. So we're talking about, you know, if you go to the Sahara Desert and you, you look in the, in the sand, you'll find these organisms. And if you go for a hike in a, in a undisturbed woods, uh, areas that have not been developed and tainted by by chemical exposure, you'll find these particular strains in rivers and streams. Um, they've actually found them with high abundance in the North Pole, in the South Pole, in the Tibetan plateaus, so virtually every corner of the Earth. And what's interesting is that when you look at glacial ice core studies, so when they when they pull out ice cores out of old glacial ice. They're able to study what the environment was like, you know, three million years, five million years, and so on, by looking at the portion of ice that represents that period of time on Earth. What they were able to do is find what kind of microorganisms existed on on Earth's surface at that time by studying glacial ice cores, and they found that these particular spores existed in high abundance all throughout the course of human evolution. So our ancestors got a lot of natural exposure to them because our ancestors were smart enough to eat dirt and live in the dirt. And they became, you know, kind of one with the environment, right? They didn't sterilize their food supply. They didn't sterilize their caves and huts. Um, and when, when an ancestral baby is born, that baby is put in the dirt. Um, and like any human baby you see, they they have this unique tendency of sampling the environment with their mouth, right? So imagine an ancestral baby is put in the dirt and he or she picks up dirt and rocks and dried dung and all that stuff and puts it in their mouth. A lot of that is to get these kind of organisms into their system. So so understanding that, looking at the evolutionary biology aspect of it, we were looking for 
strains that we thought would be the types of probiotics our ancestors were exposed to. And, and so then we found these bacillus endospores that were strains that were in the natural environment, but on top of that had the ability to survive through the gastric system naturally without us doing any engineering to them, and then actually get into the gut and uh, function as a living probiotic. Now, that ability to survive through the gastric system is a really important feature of a probiotic because the World Health Organization defines a probiotic primarily as a live microorganism. So it has to be alive when it gets to the site of action. Now, these strains have developed this amazing capability of putting an armor-like coating around themselves when they're outside of the body. So they know that when they leave the body, they're not in their native environment, which is where they want to be in the gut. And so they put this armor-like coating around themselves and they can remain dormant in the outside environment for up to 200 million years in this format. And then the moment you swallow them, they go through your stomach acid in that format. The moment they hit the intestines, they break out of this shell and they become a live vegetative functioning cell in your digestive tract. Um, you know, so that's something that only nature can design. You could give me the best scientists in the world and billions of dollars. We couldn't engineer bacteria to be able to do that, to be able to exist in a dormant state with a protective layer around it uh, for tens of millions of years. And then yet you could take that, you know, 10 million year old bacteria, swallow it, and then it gets into your gut, comes alive and starts going to work for you. Mm -hmm. You know, so they're, they're really, really unique bacteria. Now, the other thing that's unique about them within the gut itself is they act as um, really the, micro, the microbiome police. They get in, they use something called quorum sensing. They can read the microbial environment. They can identify overgrown or bad bacteria. They'll sit next to those bad bacteria and they'll produce up to 25 different antibiotics in that space to kill off the bad bacteria. Now, at the same time, they produce a whole bunch of prebiotics and other metabolites that actually grow your other good bacteria. So they help regenerate the good bacteria that is suppressed because of the exposure to things like antibiotics and glyphosate in the Roundup that's in the, the weed killer, uh, chlorine in our waters, fluoride in our drinking waters, preservatives in our foods, all of these things that on a regular basis seem to decimate the good bacteria, this particular type of microbe gets in there and reestablishes that balance. And then from what we're seeing, the other things it does is it, it seals up leaky gut. It improves mucosal, uh, the mucosal structure in the intestines, which is a protective barrier. And then it also modulates the immune response uh, to the environment because our body tends to, um, especially in this modern dysbiotic world where we have a, a flora that's not well balanced, our, our immune system tends to react overtly to the environment around us, to food that's coming in, and all of these other things that we put in and on our bodies. And that overt reaction leads to chronic inflammation. It seems to stop that kind of chronic inflammation as well. So they are fascinating organisms that have been designed by nature to become our and be our probiotics. We were just um, fortunate enough to identify them and then put them back into our system. Mm -hmm. I love I love this. There's so much information, and it's um, you know really what we're seeing clinically. This um, you know positive effect using um, the bacillus spores. So when you, I mean, it kind of does it all, right? And I, I know um, being a naturopath, I have a tremendous to, amount of respect for nature and how nature. You know, we try to you know um, 
outsmart it or try to think that we know better. But um, obviously, this is, you know, a very great example about not only a perfect delivery system, but all of the um, benefits that we see. And so one of the, um, you know, I know, and I, I know that we'll get into kind of really why are we seeing this epidemic of leaky gut and gut dysbiosis and, you know, what we're really up against in our environment. Um, but one of the things that I continue to learn from you is really how we you know, develop our microbiome and really kind of how this kind of set point um, starts, you know, really from conception, um, I think you said to age, you know, two, um, as I recall, but can you just, um, I think that's a really, um, you know, interesting point. And as, um, you know, I'm going to be a, um, a mom in July. And so I've thought a lot about how I can, you know, support, um, you know, my child and, you know, developing her microbiome and everything. But I would love to just hear your perspective and how we can really um, set up um, our future children for having a healthy microbiome. Yeah, that's and that is one of the most important things because um, at the end of the day, we know that our microbiome controls the vast majority of of how our body reacts to the environment around us and also sets us up either for for continued long, longevity and wellness or sets us up for chronic disease. It's it's one of those two things. Um, and and the microbiome is really complex. There's a over a hundred trillion organisms that exist in and on the body. Compare that to about 10 trillion organisms that make up uh, 10 trillion human cells. Sorry, that make up the entire human body. So we are far more bacteria than we are actually human. We actually have about 150 times more bacterial DNA in our system than we have human DNA. So the the types of microbes and the DNA that they have are paramount to our health and wellness. And there's just tons and tons of evidence of that. Now, where did all of these complex microorganisms come from? Well, the vast majority of them come from mom and dad during the birthing process and shortly after. Now, in utero itself, during the gestation process, there seems to be evidence that there are macrophages and dendritic cells in in mom's immune system that can go and pick up bacteria from mom's gut and actually bring it and and deposit it into um, the the birth canal through the um, through the uh, amniotic fluid and and the um, the umbilical vein. Uh, so it actually deposits it into the baby so that the the uh, the fluid that the baby's um, swimming around in is actually exposed to some degree of bacteria to begin with. And that actually kind of gets the fetus prepared for exposure to microbes. Now, then when the water breaks um, during the natural birthing process, that actually helps detach a lot of the bacteria that's in mom's vaginal canal. And then that makes the bacteria more susceptible for detaching and attaching onto the baby's skin. So when, when the baby passes through the vaginal canal, he or she gets a huge inoculum of bacteria from mom's vaginal canal. And incidentally, the mom's vaginal canal bacteria have shifted since the second trimester of pregnancy to be more accommodating to the types of bacteria that the baby needs. For example, there's a bacteria called Lactobacillus johnsi. Lactobacillus johnsi in a non-pregnant woman is not really found in any measurable amounts in the vaginal canal. And that's because one of the things that Lactobacillus johnsi does really well is, is digest milk. And, and women, when they're not pregnant, are not digesting milk in their vaginal canal. So there's no need for that bacteria there. However, as it turns out, by the end of the second trimester, you start seeing a higher incidence or increase in the growth of lactobacillus johnsi 
in the birth canal. And then by the end of the term of the pregnancy, the lactobacillus jonsai um, population really increases dramatically. And that's just the, the elegance of nature, basically setting up mom's birth canal to inoculate the baby with the right types of microbes. And so as the baby passes through the vaginal uh, micro, the vaginal uh, birth canal, baby gets a huge inoculum on his or her skin, mouth, eyes, nose, and virtually everything. And here's a very important aspect that most people don't think about. One of the things that happens more often than not during the natural birthing process is mom defecates, right? And, and the defecation, mom's stool, actually contains high levels of bifidobacteria, because uh, stool ends up being a, a really good sample of what's going on in the distal bowel. So now the baby comes out. Um, there's all of this amniotic fluid that comes out with the baby. The baby gets a good sampling of mom's vaginal bacteria, but also ends up coming in contact with mom's stool, which actually contains very, very critical bifidobacteria that are going to populate the baby's gut for the next six months. And then, and then close interaction with mom and dad, the baby picks up a bunch of bacteria from mom and dad. And then the other very important part is breastfeeding. Breast milk contains six to 800 different species of bacteria in it that are absolutely critical for the baby's health. Not only that, but it contains over 200 different prebiotics, which are absolutely paramount to the baby's health. Now, those prebiotics can't be digested by the baby for energy. It's there purely to seed the bacteria within the gut. So that that first, you know, the the process of birthing, the you know, close interaction, the skin to skin type of interaction with mom and dad. Um, if if we can avoid cleaning the baby off right when he or she is born, that's good because it's good to give the bacteria a little bit of time to settle on the baby's skin. Um, and then and then of course a close interaction and then breast milk are huge and and that's what nature is designed as a process for which we pick up this complex microbiome. Now, soon after we're born, there are some other organisms that we end up picking up from our environment. And those are the kinds of organisms that we are working with right now is the environmental microbes that babies are supposed to pick up after birth. And like you said, around two and a half years after birth, the babies kind of establish his or her adult-like microbiome. And so that first couple of years is, is paramount in terms of the development of the microbiome um, and, and things that perturb the microbiome in those first couple of years uh, ha end up having lifelong consequences like antibiotic use early on, you know, being born of C-section because C-section babies don't pass through the birth canal, don't come in contact with mom's fecals, um, with mom's fecal products and, and end up having higher levels of streptococcus and other skin bacteria rather than the good gut bacteria. Also, babies who are not breastfed, who are formula fed instead, end up with different types of microbes in the gut, and those can all dramatically increase the risk of the baby for allergies, asthma, met metabolic syndrome, and so on. Um, so that's, that's basically how, where we end up getting our microbiome, and then it becomes shaped for the next seven years. Uh, the microbiome's fitness and shape is dictated by what we're exposed to. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating, and it's just, um, I love how you say the elegance of nature, and it's just, you know, for, um, you know, people to really embrace the birthing process, and I know that, you know, we all respect modern medicine in um, a crisis, and, you know, in 
when necessary, but I think when we're looking at the increased rates of, you know, allergy, asthma, neurological illness, and, you know, our young kiddos are, are quite sick now, um, you know, we have to look at how do we set, you know, moms and babies up for success to go through this process with a lot of support um, so that the baby gets, you know, everything nature intended. And so that's just fascinating to me. And, you know, it just brings this whole you know, concept, you know, not to take us off track too much, but I, you know, we live in the world where we treat a lot of, you know, Lyme disease and persistent infections. And, you know, we look at parasites and fungi and, you know, viruses. And, you know, of course, there's a place, you know, for um, strategies to decrease that burden. But um, I always share with my patients, we're like, we're not meant to be sterile. We are like, we're more, you know, <laughs> we're more bugs than human cells. And there's just this really intimate relationship that our bodies have with these microorganisms that we need to embrace. And so I think this is just a, you know, this illustrates this, you know, beautifully. And so, you know, um, so we have to, you know, obviously, you know, do what we can to set, um, you know, up a child for the best microbiome possibly given the circumstances. And then, you know, unfortunately, you know, what we're always racking, you know, like, um, our brain about and trying to understand why are people so sick these days, right? And so, you know, now, you know, let, let's say we do everything nature intended, but, you know, we're coming up against a lot more environmental insults, I think, nowadays than probably we've had um, in, you know, past, I mean, every, you know, generation, I'm sure, has its, um, you know, challenges. But what we're dealing with right now, we're, we're living in this kind of um, synergistic soup of um, toxicity that is really impacting our microbiome. So what has your research shown you? Like, what are the things that you're seeing to be the most disruptive to um, our microbiome? Yeah, so, um, and that's a really important point because we, we forget that we live in this kind of os, um, osmosis type of setting with the environment, right? We are constantly putting things out into the environment from our own bodies, and then we are constantly absorbing things from the environment into our bodies. And, in, and the way humans evolved, we evolved to require that constant osmosis with the environment to perpetuate our health, wellness, and functionality. Um, but then we've taken ourselves and put ourselves in this really toxic world. And now instead of you know bringing in all of the really natural, beneficial things from nature, we're bringing in chemicals and compounds that are really disruptive to our body. So the things that we know that are the most disruptive to our microbiome, which then has been shown to be very disruptive to our health, and, and in fact, propagates and initiates chronic illness are, um, you know, of course, antibiotic use. Now, antibiotics are a mixed bag because antibiotics will save lives and they are very necessary in certain um, instances. However, even the CDC estimates that around 50% of antibiotic prescriptions are unnecessary. They're given for viral infections, mm -hmm. they're given for fungal infections, right? So, so people need to be very careful about when, if and when they use antibiotics. And, and then, of course, they need to take very specific steps to try to recover their body from antibiotics. Um, you know, studies show like the, a two-week two or, sorry, seven-day course of uh, clindamycin, it can take the body up to two years to recover from, wow. just from seven-day course, right? One dose uh, of um, amoxicillin or Cipro will knock down your microbiome by 99.9%, um, and it'll bounce back shortly after, but what comes back in what proportion has a significant uh, impact. 
Now, those are, you know, um, you know, acute things that you, you might have, of course, antibiotics here and there. The bigger impacts are actually the long-term chronic exposures. One of the most important ones to, for people to pay attention to is glyphosate which is in a Roundup, the active ingredient in Roundup, which is also used on most agricultural products in the U.S. Uh, people use it all around their homes. Studies have shown that babies, newborn babies, uh, they're finding this Roundup in the cord blood in newborn babies. It's that pervasive. Um, it's found in organic and, non uh, and non-organic foods. You know, it's in baby food. It's it, And the problem with the glyphosate is that it selectively kills good bacteria. It's the worst kind of antibiotics. Your regular antibiotics that you get for an infection actually kill all bacteria almost the same. And then, and then you know, the, hopefully the good ones bounce back. Glyphosate specifically kills bad bacteria and selects for things like Clostridia, Salmonella, Klebsiella, all of these really problematic pathogenic organisms. So it's kind of the worst, the worst uh, of, of both worlds. And our exposure to it is chronic. Other things are in personal care products. You'll find things like parabens and other preservatives. Uh, those things do um, enter in through the skin. They, they also pollute the environment, pollute the water supply, um, and, and end up in your drinking water, which actually kills off bacteria in the gut. Chlorine and fluoride in the drinking water, you know, using chlorine-based cleaners in your household. So we have this misconception that we need to sterilize our home. Right. And that clean smell is like kind of that chemical disinfectant smell makes people think the home is clean. And of course, they'll add some, you know, uh, the, the companies that make those will add some lemon scent to it to give you a little bit more of a natural uh, twist to it. But <laughs> that that sterile smell actually is a smell of illness because studies show that households that use chlorine based cleaners and sterilize their homes have kids that have higher incidence rates of um, viral infections, and then also things like asthma and allergies and immune dysfunctions. So that sterilization of our home is actually a really um, unfavorable thing. Um, you know, in fact, there was a study that that followed moms, newborn babies, uh, moms with newborn babies, and this would be applicable to you, Christine. Um, they they followed two groups of moms: one uh, who had the practice of, you know, when the baby drops the pacifier on the ground, the mom would pick up the pacifier, sterilize it with a wipe and then give it back to the baby versus the moms that pick it up off the ground, clean it with their own mouth, and then put it in the baby's mouth, mm -hmm. right? And and the study showed that the moms that, that cleaned the pacifier with their own mouth actually had babies with far less allergies and asthma than babies that, whose moms sterilized the pacifier with, with a wipe and then put it back in the baby's mouth. So this you know, this sharing of microbes and our closeness to the microbial environment is actually a really important thing. So those are the main things, you know, preservatives in foods, glyphosate in foods, uh, chlorine, fluoride in the drinking water, um, preservatives in personal care products and toxic components in personal care products. Of course, there's a lot of xenobiotics, there's a lot of xenoestrogens, things that are endocrine disruptors that act as antimicrobials in the system. And then, of course, you know, and antibiotic use as well, which, um, you know, in some cases can't be avoided, but in other cases should be avoided because they're not really being prescribed for the right thing. Mm -hmm. And so many great points about how we can be um, 
you know, proactive and feel empowered and how to, um, you know, avoidance is always the first, you know, step and how we can make lifestyle changes to, you know, limit our, um, you know, body burden. And, and I see the, the hard part too, and I'm sure you see this is that we see patients who kind of can do everything right. And we still have an exposure. So I, I kind of just, um, you know, I try not to get, you know, overly anxious or paranoid about that and just say, we have to do what we can and be proactive and empowered and try to implement change um, by choosing, you know, lifestyle choices that are going to hopefully, you know, create more of them when we see the, you know, organic movement and more green cleaning and, you know, all of that, Um, you know, but we're never going to live in a perfect environment right now. And so what have you found, you know, like, how do we support ourselves? And, you know, how, what has your research shown, especially, especially with the bacillus spores? um, How do we really deal with these um, insults? And how do we repair, um, you know, our leaky gut and our microbiome? Um, You know, just any, I know that the really fun part for us is that you're researching, you know, this as well as um, creating these products. And so what has your latest research um, shown us? Yeah. So um, what's what's really interesting is that a, a lot of this, which seems really complex, can be boiled down into a couple of simple simple things. Um, all of the exposure that we have inevitably to these chemicals that we talked about, basically what they end up doing is causing dysbiosis. And dysbiosis is a really general term for an imbalance in your flora. Um, and, and everybody's flora gets imbalanced in a slightly different way because everybody's gut uh, microbes are um, are unique, and and you have a different distribution of of microbes within your gut than I do, for example. And that's the thing that makes us all unique um, individuals: is our microbes are are different and unique to us. Now, when when we end up living in this modern society and we get chronic exposure to these chemicals, what 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 ends up happening is you get a severe imbalance where you end up with bacteria that cause inflammation in the body bacteria that overactivate their immune system in response to foods, in response to drinks, and in response to things within the environmental system, bacteria that cause the intestinal lining to become leaky and open up, essentially, and then also bacteria that cause excessive gas uh, production, things like ammonia that can actually affect systemic inflammation and affect our own cells by um, by disrupting the mitochondria and the functionality of our own cells. So you end up getting this breakdown of how the system is supposed to function purely from an imbalance of good and bad bacteria. So what our focus was is, okay, does this imbalance cause um, you know, cr- uh, the, the types of symptomologies or the types of effects that lead to chronic illness? And the, the effect that we were paying attention to in particular was chronic low-grade um, inflammation in the body, and a particular type of chronic low-grade inflammation. The fancy term for it is CD14-activated inflammation. So there's a type of inflammation that occurs in the body that has been tied to uh, cardiovascular disease, obesity, diabetes, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, autoimmune disease, even simple things like allergies, asthma, um, and even more complex things like um, you know anxiety, depression, uh, hypogonadism, which is low testosterone, um, gingivitis, uh, acne, all of these things, right? They seem like very, very different conditions. Like you know, acne is a very different condition than Parkinson's. 
uh, and it affects very different parts of the body, and yet they have the same origin. Both of those conditions start with a particular type of chronic inflammation that, that is a result of a dysbiotic flora, meaning an imbalance of good and bad bacteria. Now, that is why, you know, even though we are living in this modern age of science and medicine and we have a lot of tools and resources, that's why these diseases continue to increase in prevalence because we're not tapping into the root cause of the root cause, which is the dysbiotic flora that leads to leakiness in the gut, that leakiness in the gut leads to the types of chronic inflammation that sets the body up for this type of uh, these types of diseases. And so that's what we are focusing on. Our idea was that can we introduce bacteria that seem to have a protective role in the microbiome, and then will those bacteria protect the host from this leakiness and then the subsequent inflammation. So when we published our paper in August of 2017, we showed the very first probiotic or any really any nutritional compound that's been shown to, to be able to prevent the leakiness in the gut and stop the inflammation that occurs as a result of the leakiness. So that is that was a really profound thing. In fact, the research, um, the journal allowed us to publish it as something called a frontier paper because it they've never seen uh, results that have shown anything that can reduce the leakiness in the gut. So that that was uh, that was quite significant. So we were we were very happy and excited and proud to do that. Uh, but that becomes a fundamental thing that people need to do is they need to um, start to work on increasing the diversity of the gut, uh, removing themselves from toxins and things that we know perturb the gut, and then utilizing you know probiotics and other nutritional ingredients that help resolve the leakiness. That will resolve the chronic inflammation. Which is the which is what these chronic diseases kind of swim in. That's a pool that they breed in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I love that. You know, I, I find you know myself um, seeing the same things too. It's like when you have a patient, um, you know, very different patients and very complex. You know, patients we can you know boil down to really some common you know, denominators that can really, you know, fix a lot of things when we look at the root cause. And so I, I, and I think this is really empowering. I mean, like given, you know, what we're up against to show this dramatic of, um, you know, an effect, you know, from the spores, I, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I think there's a lot, um, you know, we're only just getting started. It feels like, you know, as well. So, um, no, a lot of great points, Kieran. And, um, you know, I know um, some of um, your research has also shown, um, you know, I know a lot of my patients, um, you know, are interested in, um, you know, in this whole idea of, um, you know, with everything that we've talked about, you know, we've seen this increased sensitivity in a lot of patients and an increased lack of tolerance, if you will, to treatment. And, you know, um, that can be, you know, a whole spectrum of how that presents. But um, there's a lot of information coming out about mast cell activation syndrome and, you know, these histamine responses and um, just this really overactive um, immune system. And so I know that you've shared some connections between the spores and, you know, histamine in the gut. And I think that is just so valuable. So if you don't mind walking us through that. Yeah. So, you know, our, our immune systems, the job of our immune system is to react to the environment around us. Um, the innate part of the immune system, which is the first line of defense, has no choice but to 
sample things that are coming in through the diet, sample things that are coming in through our nasal passages, um, you know, the things we breathe in, the things we drink in, everything has a signature to it. And then our immune system has to react to it. Um, now, when our immune system reacts at first, it does react in an inflammatory manner. And that's fine. That's actually a normal aspect of the immune system. And it is protective in many ways. That inflammatory reaction can protect against infections, for example, that may be coming in. However, the problem lies in that our, our systems are not able to uh, move from the initial inflammatory response towards the adaptive response where our immune system learns what to attack and what not to attack. And, um, and that's where we things really start to break down. And as it turns out, a lot of that learning of the immune system, where it sees a particular antigen, let, let's say pollen or ragweed or a soy protein or something that may be coming in from the diet, and it learns not to attack and initiate an inflammatory response against that, that process called immune tolerance, that tolerance is dictated by the presence of bacteria in the gut. So there are several different types of bacteria, like certain strains of Clostridia actually can increase tolerance, believe it or not. But Acromantia mucinophilia is a type of bacteria that lives in the gut that actually initiates the ability of, this, of the immune system to, to create this tolerance. The spores activate the type of immune response that allows for the tolerance. And a lot of that is dictated by something called your T reg cells. So these are your regulatory T cells. The job of the regulatory T cells is to survey all of these immune responses that are going on and then figure out which responses are required and which responses should be, um, should be minimized or even prevented and stopped because they're not favorable or they're not required. And so that activation of the Treg system is controlled in large part by having a diverse, healthy microbiome. So one of the consequences of living in the toxic world that we live in is that our microbiome gets decimated, so we lose that learning aspect of our immune system. And so the only part of the immune system that seems to work really well is that initial line of defense, which is the innate immune system. And the innate immune system uses several tools to try to defend the body. One of those tools is mast cells that activate and release histamine. Uh, another one of those tools are natural killer cells. Natural killer cells not only will kill any invading virus or bacteria, but they are nonspecific in a way, so they end up killing tissue around where the virus and bacteria is as well. And so, and then you've got the IgE response, which is more of the allergenic response. Those are all the first line of defense responses. And then we're not, we're not we were missing the tutoring or the learning aspect of the immune system that are controlled by healthy bacteria in the gut that tell the immune system, okay, don't react to that stuff anymore, it's not dangerous. Or react in this way, which is actually more, uh, more effective, which is through the antibody route with beat cells. So, so that's the part that's really important. You know, in fact, uh, a really uh, well-informed allergist will tell, will tell you to get dirty a little mm -hmm. bit more. 
you know, if you're really trying to fix your allergies. I had a friend um, who, who was that we, we affectionately called her child the bubble boy because mm-hmm. he was, you know, he would <laughs> essentially had to live in a bubble because he was allergic to everything. Even stainless steel would give him a reaction on the skin. And in part, it was because he was C-section. Um, he ended up having a couple rounds of antibiotics when he was first born. And mom was incredibly paranoid and sterilized everything around him. You know, like when we would go to a restaurant, she would actually pull out a chlorine wipe and wipe down the table and chairs and all that stuff around him. That ended up having devastating consequences to his immune system, and he became severely allergic to everything. Then, you know, one fine day, the allergies that they were working with said, you know what, the best thing you can do is take his pacifier throw it in the dirt, throw it by the garbage, and then put it back in his mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love <laughs> you know? it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and that was baffling to her. Uh, but that was something I was trying to explain to her, too. And I'm glad the allergist uh, finally, um, you know, revealed that to her. And, and that's really what we need. We need these bacteria that train our immune system to control the immune responses that are unfavorable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's just such a great point in that, um, you know, the key to health is not, you know, restrict, restrict, live in a bubble. Like, you know, I always, you know, share with my patients too, health is resilience. You know, we are, we're uh, meant to interact and, you know, participate in our environment and we shouldn't be fear it, but embrace it. And so I think that's a really good illustration, um, you know, of that, of that point for sure. Um, yeah. Let me, let me give you another point of that. Yeah. That's actually really quite fascinating. So not only do we, do we share and, and pick up health from one another, but of course, we can pick up disease confirmations from one another as well. So that was a fascinating study that I saw. Um, I don't know if it's published yet, but I, I got a opportunity to see the presentation at one of the conferences I go to. And it was a, a researcher, I think, at Johns Hopkins that was doing a study on the impact of antibiotics on the, on the, on the uh, microbiome of subjects. But he was going one step beyond. So what he was doing is he would, he would find individuals that are going through a course of antibiotics. He would study their microbiomes, and then he would study their microbiomes for six months after the course of antibiotics was stopped. And what he found was that the, dis- the disturbance in the, within the microbiome that he measured from the antibiotics was still present six months later. But the crazy part of the study was that he also followed the microbiomes of those living with that individual in the same household. And he found that the people who were living with that individual who weren't taking the antibiotics also saw the same disruption in their microbiome and was still present for six months. Wow. So, right, so that shows us how intimately connected we are, especially in this microbial world. So imagine that you can live with somebody who's taking a course of antibiotics and that course of antibiotics is disrupting their microbiome, thereby creating this cascade of issues starting with leaky gut and inflammation. And you're not taking the antibiotic, but being in the same household, your gut becomes perturbed in the same way. Mm-hmm. That, right? that, yeah, wow. That, that's mind-blowing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because we share microbes. We share microbes every day. You know, whether we know it or not, uh, we excrete microbes. You know, every time, for example, you go to the bathroom and you, um, you know, you, you go and you, you uh, defecate into the toilet – You've, of course, released a lot of your gut microbes in the toilet. Then you flush the toilet. The toilet creates enough of aerosolization of of liquid. You can actually measure it if you you put a, a black light on it. It actually 
creates an aerosol of bacteria from your fecal matter into the air, then our air duct systems, you know, are designed to suck in air from the house and put it through the air conditioning system and push it back out. So we are sucking in fecal matter, spreading it back out into our environment. That stuff settles down on virtually everything we touch. It gets back into our system. You know, there's a bird that flies by your chimney. The bacteria from the bird actually falls off the bird and drops into the chimney system, enters the home. So we know there's a significant amount of interaction uh, between microbes, not only on our body, but from everyone else's body that we interact with. And, and uh, they even showed that there's studies that show that households that have uh, more individuals living in it actually tend to have overall healthier individuals versus households that have one or two individuals. So the more microbes we have to share, the better things are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, so so we share the good and we also share the bad in the case of the antibiotics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. And the questions that I always get, you know, um, that I think, you know, we can look at both sides, um, you know, of the scenario, especially around when people are dealing with, quote, chronic infections and, you know, Lyme disease and, you know, all of, you know, par chronic parasitic infections and, you know, all of this, they, you know, worry about, you know, being intimate with their family and their partners. And, you know, I, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, we have to take that into consideration, of course, but it's like, you know, how do we strengthen all of, you know, the family's immune system and, you know, not necessarily fear these, you know, um, encounters, but how do we look at it from this other perspective? But that's that's fascinating here and I had no idea that that like blows my mind <laughs> yeah it's, it's crazy and then you know that also brings up the thing to me of how important we interact with each other when we when we see each other you know like um in, in many cultures in the world like in Europe and all that when they see each other they kiss each other on the cheek right mm -hmm. and that's a far more intimate connection among people uh which if you break it down scientifically has some scientific benefit because we're exchanging microbes a lot more. Um, so I always say, like, I'm a big hugger. When I see people, I want to give them a hug because that's actually a really good and important way of um, exchanging microbes with one another. You know, so the more uh, close we are with our fellow humans and even other animals like a dog, uh, you know, um, studies show that households with dogs, inside-outside pets, have kids with lower incidence rates of asthma and allergies because the dogs go out, they bring in microbes from all over the environment, they bring it back in. If you're, if you're smart enough to let your dog sleep in your bed with you, they will inoculate your bed with all kinds of bacteria, which is actually good for your system. Um, you know, and again, the vast majority of bacteria, over 99.99% or more of bacteria ever discovered are either benign or beneficial. That's very, very few that are actually harmful, but we focus so much on those that are harmful. You know, and the best way to protect ourselves from those that are harmful are to support the 99.99% of the good ones. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that. Focus on the positive, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm sure that has effect on our microbiome too, the, you know, the whole, you know, um, emotional, mental, com you know, component as well. I mean, there's so many ways your research can go, right? Well, Kieran, I mean, I, I probably could ask you a thousand more questions. <laughs> Um, Which still, means we should probably do this again. I know, I know, but I think you gave us so much information to, you know, digest today, and um, you know, I think this is just um, 
fascinating research. And again, we're so excited because we're seeing this clinical, you know, benefit, you know, in our patients, a lot of our patients who um, have never noticed, you know, how they feel with a probiotic um, like product, they feel like, you know, they definitely can feel um, the bacillus spores changing their gut and um, changing their response, you know, and some patients, I mean, these are powerful products too. And then some patients who are really sensitive have to start, you know, even at half a capsule. And, you know, we, we start slowly, um, as they introduce, you know, this information essentially into their you know, gut microbiome. So it's just been a real, you know, joy for us to see this be really effective, you know, an effective strategy um, in our treatment protocols. Absolutely. And thank you so much for getting it out to people. Again, none of this would, would mean anything if, if we didn't have uh, practices like yours that, that uh, are, you know, progressive, innovative, looking for the best things and, and getting the product out to people. Um, I'm uh, excited to um, announce that we are doing, you know, we, we're we have 11 clinical trials going on right now. I just got word that four of them are almost done and we should have the papers written up by the end of this year. So we'll have a lot more stuff coming uh, coming out. We are gonna be doing the first human microbiome glyphosate study to see over time how glyphosate actually perturbs the microbiome. And then, and then of course, can we rescue it with certain therapies and, and bring it back to normal? That's one of the exciting things we're doing because it seems to be really difficult to get away from glyphosate, even mm -hmm. if we make the right choices. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we're doing studies right now on the same probiotic. Imagine that we're doing studies on acne, on periodontal disease, on rheumatoid arthritis, you know, and, and, and weight management. So these are all very different conditions, but they all seem to be um, impacted beneficially when you when you get the right bacteria into your system. So again, thank you for the opportunity to do this, and thank you for the continued opportunity to work with you guys on the clinic side as well. Well, no, we appreciate it. It's a team effort, right? And it's just wonderful to be able to work with researchers who are looking at the real issues that we feel that our, you know, um, our patients are facing. So these sound like some really amazing uh, clinical studies that we'll get to learn more about soon. And then, um, Kieran, where can people find more um, about you and your work and your products? Um, you know, if they want to learn more. Yeah, go go on to microbiomelabs.com. That's M-I-C-R-O-B-I-O-M-E-L-A-B-S with an S at the end, uh, dot com. We have a blog attached to it that has a lot of um, interviews and webinars um, on various topics uh, associated with chronic health. Um, also view YouTube, my name, K-I-R-A-N, and, and you just put microbiome with it, you'll find hundreds of videos that people have uploaded uh, for me on there um, that are, you know, podcasts and webinars and interviews of, of, of variety of sources. Um, so there's lots of info out there. So if you, if you uh, start searching online, you'll, you'll, you'll never find an end to it. But, <laughs> but hopefully there's a lot of good information as well. So I welcome people to go and do the searches. Absolutely. You've put out some amazing information and lectures. And so I hope people, you know, go down the rabbit hole uh, with us. Yeah. And um, no, I, th I so appreciate your time today. And I'll definitely um, invite you back. I feel like once um, we learn more about your research, I'd love to have you back for us to get an update and um, continue this learning curve. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Kieran Krishnan. If you want to learn more about his product, Megaspore Biotic, we have a link in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this interview, I'd really appreciate a review on iTunes. And we really appreciate uh, your time listening today. 